Good afternoon and welcome back to part three of my interview with Sandy Adams. And we're talking about Agenda uh, 2030. Uh, we're talking about the Great Reset. We've covered a lot of detail about documents which have uh, uh, set out this plan. And uh, we've uh, described how each of the individual objectives uh, is being described by the individuals and the powerful institutions that are putting this global agenda together. Um, part three, we're going to move on through Sandy Adams' material. And as she told us, uh, I think it was in part one, that some of the material is quite old. It goes back to some of her original research. And really all that does is shows us how accurate she's been in building the picture. So that's <laughs> so I need to do a bit of editing. Uh, so straight away, Sandy, thank you for joining me again. And let's get into part three. How are you? I'm really well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> thank you very much. Good. OK. Now, I believe at the weekend you had the pleasure of meeting Debbie Evans down in the depths of Truro. And uh, I was very keen that you two should meet up because, as I mentioned in whether it was part one or part two, I can't remember, but I, I mentioned that you were talking about um, the future of the NH, NHS and the introduction of all matters to do with AI and the uh, focus on genomics. And I said that what you were talking about absolutely dovetailed in with what Debbie Evans was picking up from her research largely coming in at a a focused angle on the NHS. So how did you two get on? We got on really well. She's she's an amazing lady. We had we had a great time. We we chatted for a long time. She had to go off afterwards and I had to go off as well, but we we exchanged uh, emails and numbers and everything and she's doing fantastic work. And yes, a lot of her work sort of dovetails into mine, particularly with the NHS and the eugenics that's going on. Um, you know, they, they call it new eugenics, they call it genomics. There's no, there's no really flowering it up. It's, it's, it's eugenics. You know, what's going on is eugenics and it's, it's, um, yeah, she's, she's doing a great job uncovering it. And I, I did actually email her this morning with something that I sort of stumbled upon yesterday. And it's, uh, this kind of very shadowy, you know, uh, regulatory board international regulatory board which now regulates all the um all the policies that go through uh nhs you know or, or medical systems all over the world and i was just stunned by it so i sent it to her I thought this is dynamite you know maybe she knows about it already maybe she doesn't i don't know but there's a lot of really shadowy stuff going on and it's horrible <laughs> right okay well my um my plan, my cunning plan, as the Black Adder would say, is to is to get you two speaking to each other um, about these subjects and where you want to go. And to do that as a recorded mm. chat, who's going to lead? In the, we don't need an interview. Yeah. I think we need you two chatting. So we'll get that yeah. get that organised. So there we are. A little Lovely. bit of advert, little bit of advertising <laughs> for a future event. Great. Uh, with yeah. Debbie. Lovely. Uh, with no, Debbie Evans. Okay, well, I thought what we'd do is we'd only bring up one slide as a little bit of a recap, but you've already mentioned eugenics in what, what you've just said to me. So this was one of your slides, which we really got to at the end of part two, technocracy and eugenics. The world has a cancer and that cancer is man. Uh, 
Um, now, was that Alan Gregg, the who, was that said yes. by he, Alan Gregg in he, the Turning he, Point, yeah. 1974? Yeah. Yeah, he was a spokesman for the uh, Rockefeller Foundation. And, and it's this whole hating on humanity, you know, that we got really through the first global revolution, that Club of Rome report, which was that man has destroyed the planet and therefore we have to uh, treat us as an enemy. You know, that's what we are. We're the enemy. We're the cancer on, on, on the land. You know, it's horrible. Um, so, yeah, that's what he said. Okay, well, let's just uh, we we'll just go through the others very quickly. So we have Bill Gates, William Gates, Margaret Sanger. Uh, that's involvement with eugenics. We've got IBM, Columbia University, Hollerith Punch Card System, nineteen thirty-three, data harvesting minority groups in World War Two. We've got Edwin Black, the War Against the Weak. Uh, eugenics started in the U.S. in the nineteen twenties, and of course, it also became very popular. Um, in UK and many of our um, mm. higher establishment figures, including Churchill, got interested in it. Yeah. Um, and then you're leading on to the fact that if we want to control people, we're going to hoover up data. So IBM's quantum computer is uh, part of the uh, drive to be able to handle these mind-blowing quantities of, of data which they're going to be processing. And interestingly, you ended with NHS X, the genomics program, and you mentioned Dominic Cummings there. And again, yes. uh, those two subjects, NHS and the genomics, but also Dominic Cummings is an individual that Debbie has been looking at for some time, saying to me repeatedly, you've got to have a look at mm. this man's blog yeah. because it is so dark. Yes, it was interesting that Debbie and I both seem to have been looking at the same stuff, you know, and we talked about it on Saturday and she, you know, she was, she said, you know, have you seen it? And I said, yes, I've been reading his blog and it's deeply dark. It's, yeah, it's okay. going down a very, very dark route. Yeah. Okay. So, um, right, we, we're just going to, what are we going to do? We're just going to go free floating around this subject now to, to get us to the con conclusion on it. But of course, what is important is to get people to understand that this is not an agenda that's being formed by political parties, particularly where those parties um, have individuals who have been democratically, inverted commas, elected by the peasants. This is to do with very powerful groups of people who mm -hmm. we may see the name of the organisation. It might have a website, but even if we do see those things, it's very difficult to understand what they're doing. And you picked up on the Club of Rome. Um, people can, can go and do an online search for it. But this particular document, Our Common Future, uh, the World Commission on Environment and Development, my first comment is, well, this is all very well. Who's the Club of Rome and who's the World Commission? And who appointed them to do anything? Well, this this was uh, the Club of Rome was was commissioned. It was commissioned by the United Nations to come up with our common future. It was paid for um, essentially by Maurice Strong and you know all the people at the United Nations, um, and it was written by Gro Harlem Brundtland, who was this very the very she's a very socialist leader, prime minister at the time of um, Norway. Yeah, so it was. Um, 
I don't, I don't know, not many people have read it. It's, you can get it on Amazon. Here it is, <laughs> in my kitchen of books. <laughs> um, it's uh, the World Commission on Environment and Development. Um, and it was really, it, it's interesting because it was almost like um, a Marshall Plan, to, <laughs> but it was to actually destroy Europe. Um, it, was, it was a way of, of, of saying, look, everything is not equitable in our world and therefore we 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 the polluting west have to make reparations to the developing countries and pay them money um because we we we're the polluters we're the ones that you know ruining the planet and they need to develop which is a bit of a nonsense really because uh i they're against you know sort of uh development of of the world because they're saying it causes uh, climate change, but that this money was all sent over to uh, India and China um, to bring them to to the level of of industry that we had. So our industry declined after this event in 1987. We stopped manufacturing, and as we know, everything went over to India and China. So they were financing all of that. You know, we were financing all of that, um, and in fact, it, it helped sort of progress their tech tech industry as well so it was really um uh it was a it was called the world the report on the world commission on environment and development um wealth needs to be distributed from wealthy countries to poor nations as wealthy countries are destroying the planet india and china so it, it just literally became this almost like a second marshall plan to finance india and china and to to bring the west down really yeah yeah um Fascinating as always. Interesting though, if we think about the Marshall Plan, that of course was the key plan for rebuilding Europe after the Second World War. So a lot of American mm -hmm. money came into that. But uh, later uh, you find that there was a Marshall Plan of the Mind, and that is an incredible title. And where did that plan huh? come from? Well, this was the work of the British government alongside the BBC looking at how they could take control of the minds of people in Eastern Europe. And so, mm. uh, as the UK column has said on many occasions, we're encouraging people to look at what the BBC is. And of course, the BBC, uh, since its inception, more or less, has worked directly alongside the security services. It's worked alongside GCHQ. BBC monitoring is effectively a spying network. Uh, because it's analysing everybody else's communications. Um, we've, we have uh, written up on the fact that uh, the BBC was being used to actively change societies in Eastern Europe. In Kazakhstan, for example, they put in a soft, um, uh, what, what do we call it, a soap opera in Kazakhstan in order to mould the ideas and opinions of the populations and to get them to accept such needy things as bank cards and credit cards. And this was all mm. part of the creation of the Marshall Plan of the Mind. So this stuff is very deep, tentacles go everywhere. But when you mention India and China, uh, what I was thinking of, of course, um, the uh, lifting up of economies in India and China fits very well with the agenda of the trilateral uh, commission and the trilateral mm -hmm. 
the trilateral plan is that the world should be divided into three great political and economic power blocks, the Americas, North and South America forming one block, Europe, uh, but significantly including uh, Russia to form the second, and then Asia and the Pacific Rim to form the third power block. And of course, that would include India and uh, China and Japan, together with the other up and coming uh, Asian countries. But that trilateral agenda seems to me to be absolutely woven in amongst this global plan. So have, have you encountered alongside, for example, the Club of Rome? Have you come across the trilat Trilateral Commission? Yes, I mean, someone like you know, people like Zbigniew Brzezinski were really big in the Trilateral Commission, and and you know you've got all of these shadowy um, clubs. Really, you've got you've got the Club of Rome, the Trilateral Commission, the Council for Foreign Relations, um, the Bilderberg Group. All of those seem to have the same people, the powerful people in them. People like Henry Kissinger, and and uh, all these people that really formulated this whole plan. They all seem to be in all those different um, uh, organisations. Yes. Yeah, and of course, the World Economic Forum is is one which probably is most people them, have, yeah. have heard about. Now, I'm just going to pop this one on screen briefly, but several times in describing where you think the system is going, you've used the term communitarianism. And this was um, a, a term which I'd never heard, well, going back quite a few years, but I suddenly came across communitarianism when you're searching for what you're up against. You're looking at what's happening and it's not quite fascism and it doesn't fit the communist mold. It's like a blend between the two. And then I started to um, discover communitarianism and descriptions of it. Are you able to describe what you think communitarian, communitarianism is and why you think it's a, a good descriptor for what's happening? Um, it's, it is, it's a, it's a kind of, it's a kind of communism, but it's not. It's because it's communism uh, kind of interwoven with capitalism. I mean, it's a very odd form of communism and it's something that we've never really sort of seen before. Um, and it, 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 it's really someone like Maurice Strong who, who set up the, the Earth Summit was a typical communitarian. His ideology was in communism, but his methodology was in capitalism. And so he he's a, a perfect idea of a, of a communitarian. And it's where really your rights and freedoms, it's a bit like communism in as much as your rights, um, your rights are, 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 are kind of, uh, put second best to the rights of and responsibilities of the community, um, and and that sounds all very worthy. But actually, it's it, you know in communitarianism, it is it's very ill defined, and it, you know it's it's a it's a crafted balance between individual rights between the rights of the community. Individual rights are replaced by the rights of the community, which are very vaguely defined because it actually benefits. The elite, <laughs> because you've got overriding it. You've got these elites actually running the show and creaming off all the all the all the um, profits. So and and the people become uh, 
equally poor, basically. Yeah. I mean, there, there is an amazing uh, book called The Anti-Communist Manifesto written by uh, a lady called Nikki Rapana and her daughter, uh, Nordica Friedrich. And it's a it's a free PDF on the internet. You can get it. Sadly, um, Nikki Rapana passed away a couple of months ago. She, she did this seminal work. Um, and 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 she and I think uh, I can't remember the other guy's name. He's really good at putting this all together. But in, the, in America, they really understand what communitarianism is, and they've been on about on the on the on it for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Antonio Gramsci comes into my head when we're talking about communitarianism, but I I'd need to go and uh, do some homework on that to see whether he was a proponent of communitarianism. I may have that oh, right, right, or I might have got the wrong name. What about this yeah. gentleman, Amati Edzioni, Professor of Sociology, um, Columbia University? You've selected him out he, of many. What, what was interesting yeah, about this man? He, he promoted the, the ideology of communitarianism, Amatai Etzioni. He's a German-born Israeli professor of sociology, born in 1929. Um, and he, uh, he, he sort of, he was the one that really pushed this forward. And, and he was, again, he was, he was at Columbia with Klaus Schwab and all, all the whole, you know, alumni of 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 of, uh, of um, Columbia University who are trying to push this technocratic, um, if you like, um, commutarian system into our world, and 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 really that's infiltrated an awful lot of the universities because it's gone through academia, um, and you know this is. Uh, the, he says the laws protecting the individual are outmoded and must be balanced by experts against the sensibilities of a global market, trade agreements, tariffs, constitutions and religious freedoms. All these identified as barriers to achieving sustainable development. So it's all wrapped up with sustainable development as well. And even at that time, you know, when he was, you know, uh, in 1958 to 73, they were already planning this whole sustainable development uh, and the, the goals and everything. Uh, so it goes back as far as that, you know. So, um, you know, he, David Cameron called this big society. Communitarianism was big society. That's how he promoted it. Um, Communitarians are global movers and shakers. They seek to destroy representational government, voting private property ownership, um, voting that private property ownership is outmoded, and pr they promote regionalization. Um, yeah, the anti-communitarian. Yeah, I've mentioned the anti-communitarian on, on anti-communitarian manifesto by Nikki Rapana and Nordic Friedrich, which really, really outlines it properly. I mean, I've read it and it's very long, but it, you understand now how this has been almost like common purpose has been infiltrated into every structure in our in our society. Yeah. Okay. Well, we we have to bring this figure up on screen and and this particular photograph of uh, Klaus Schwab. I just find utterly brilliant because he does look like yeah. something straight out of Star Wars. Again, my simple mm. question is, uh, I have to use the H word, who the hell is this man who stands on a world stage with uh, the highest uh, political uh, people in uh, the highest in the political arena and he tells us what our future is going to be and boasts, he brags that he's groomed the individuals that are going to create his future utopia who is yeah mr mr schwab 
Who is he indeed? I mean, he's he comes from a very, again, another shady background, as they all seem to. All these, all these big globalists have got very, very dodgy backgrounds. Um, you know, he was he 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 he, he was born in Ravensburg in Germany. Um, and his father was Eugene Schwab, who um, ran a, an engineering company called Escher Miss in the 1930s. And he was um, he was a big industrialist. Um, he collaborated with, you know, his father, um, Eugene Schwab, collaborated with the Nazis to create nuclear technology. Um, and he was instrumental in creating machinery vital to the Nazi war effort. So not not good <laughs> when you look at his background. Um, and uh you know klaus was involved with illegal in the 1960s he was involved with illegal nuclear development in south africa africa supporting the apartheid movement um so he now heads up you know the davos you know he's been doing it since 1971 when the world economic forum was created by again the rockefeller institute and the un um and you know every year they've been uh you know putting together this whole global leadership program as well, which, to be honest, most of the global leaders that we have at the moment, you know, in positions of ultimate power, have all gone through Klaus Schwab's training, his global leadership training. So literally, he's been training them up to, to do his bidding, uh, or the World Economic Forum's bidding, the United Nations bidding. And as you can see, you know, there, there's, there's all of them are there, you know, they, you've got... People Let's pop like, some faces um, on the screen. There we are uh, for yeah. our audience. So we, we've got we've got Boris Johnson, we've got Trudeau, we've got yeah. Macron, uh, Billy Gates is there. Um, uh, Lucinda O'Hearn is there. It's quite a mixture yeah, altogether, yeah. isn't it? And yeah, I wonder. There are a lot of people who sort of look at this and say, right, everybody who's been through his training program is a little robot of Klaus Schwab and they go away and do his bidding, no questions asked. I'm not, I'm not so convinced it's as simple as that because I think even people who've been through his training programme have their own agenda and egos mm. running. So these people come out and they're going to trample over each other to get to the top. They're going to form uh friendships or allegiances that work for a while and then they squabble and fall out but yes it is interesting that one man should be able to be on public stage boasting that he's he's chosen and groomed so many of the top world leaders this this seems to be mm. incredible power for one individual Mm, absolutely. And you look at the CVs of some of these leaders and for Zelensky, you know, um, and they really uh, don't have very, you know, their, their CVs are quite sparse, but they've been elevated to political power after attending the, this, um, this whole thing. So the, I, I you know, it, it just seems that yes, people, luckily people do and I'm sure people have gone on his training and thought, hang on, this isn't for me, or or they've used it to pursue another agenda. But um, on the whole, the puppets are doing exactly what, you know, the World Economic Forum want them to do. Yeah. Yeah. OK. And the um, pandemic that we've just encountered, so COVID-19 pandemic and everything that went with it, lockdown, this was something that seems to have uh, 
been either an amazing coincidence for the likes of the World Economic Forum, or they knew something we didn't because they were effectively, they have effectively been boasting that uh, COVID and, and the resulting lockdown has, has produced what was unprecedented control over people's lives. Mm. Yeah. Yes, I mean, unfortunately, you know, the, um, it, it, the, the pandemic treaty gives the World Econo Economic Forum um, sort of uh, the, uh, actually, it's the, sorry, it's the, it's not the, the WEF pandemic, we could easily be actually, that's a typo. It's the, the WHO treaty. Yes. Um, we'll give we'll give the who uh, powers to to actually um, deal with any sort of um, lockdowns. You know, any any policies to, con concerning lockdowns will be taken over by the World Economic Forum underneath. Uh, sorry, under the who the WHO under the World Economic Forum. So at the end of the day, the World Economic Forum do have the powers to implement this via the, the, the WHO. Um, so who gave, you know, who gave the who these powers? You know, they're unelected and unaccountable. You know, we didn't vote for the for them. So, you know, again, it's another, it's another way of gaining power over over institutions that were there to regulate and to make sure that um, these the, you know, things didn't happen that weren't ethical. Yeah. Yes. Um Sorry, that was my, my fault and the way I led you in because we introduced the World Health Org Organization when we were talking about the World Economic Forum. That was my fault. But what was in my no, head no, was, cool, but, was, yeah. was this slide, which um, is another one of your slides, and a quote from Klaus Schwab saying, the COVID-19 outbreak is the first big step towards unpre unprecedented control over mankind. I mean, how... No, how blatant do we want it to be for people to actually yeah. understand what's going on here? But yeah. of course, the, the real problem at the moment is that the world's media, and let's lead with the BBC, which has the biggest global audience, simply does not tell uh, people what's actually happening, what these people are talking about. And, and the BBC mm -hmm. certainly doesn't challenge them as to what they're talking about. So the World Economic Forum saying, well, we really love COVID-19 because it's the first big step towards unprecedented control over mankind. Is this man yeah. mad or is he, is he, is he brilliant? Which, or is it both? <laughs> I think, I think it, it's, it, it's, it's brilliant if you actually are someone like Blowfield who wants to take over the world. It's a brilliant plan and it's been executed brilliantly, although I do think they're, they're panicking now because there's such a pushback. But, um, you know, it's evil. It's, an, it's a horribly dark agenda, you know, to literally enslave us and to, to keep us in control. And for, for them to have unlimited access to power and money, because this this system that they're creating is almost like an unlimited source of wealth for them and extreme poverty for everyone else. Yes. Uh, well, on your original slide with Klaus Schwab, we didn't when we popped it up a few minutes ago, we didn't actually talk about it. But uh, the second image there from the World Economic Forum is you will own nothing and you will be happy. And again, this is this is 
very accurate reporting from the World Economic Forum because their plan is that we should own nothing. Everything that we need will be supposedly provided by the state, including water. We'll be dependent on the, the state to provide us with drinking water. Uh, presumably control over the air will follow, but certainly control over food, housing, heating. This is all to yeah. be given to us by the state. But as you've already said, only if we adhere to the rules that they're going to set and we get a high enough score with our social credits score. So this is complete mm -hmm. control by these people. It is, and it's it's um it really what the, what they're going to do is 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 change our entire economy so we don't have like they tried in the 1930s like Elon Musk's grandfather was trying to do yeah it, it, they're, they're trying to change our economy from a price-based economy to an energy-based economy so we will be we will be able to we will be given a certain amount of carbon credits and once those tokens are used up we will not be able to access goods and services that's exactly what they're saying and so what we what we really find is that you know in the new the, the new financial economy will be based on energy and our access to goods and services will be determined by our social credit rating and the number of tokens that we have in this circular economy so uh, it's it's an unfair system really because basically they will own everything they'll own all the resources and the only way that we will be able to uh, to save up our carbon credits because renewables don't work, we will not be able to function in that economy. Um, the only way they'll do it is by pushing us into the metaverse where we actually don't use anything because we're living in a smart city apartment um, with a virtual reality headset on and, and not, not actually living in this world. And retail will be a thing of the past anyway. You'll only be able to access stuff in their world if, if we go along with this nonsense in their world, we'll only be able to access things that we like doing and things that we like buying in the metaverse. And they're setting that up for us to be drawn into it. Yeah. Yeah. So we're hopping across here to the um, uh, famous Bill Gates. And you've come up with his depopulation equation, which we pop on screen for people. So this, of course, is interwoven with the energy-based economy, but the formula we've got on screen is CO2 equals P for people multiplied by S for services per person multiplied by E for energy per, ser per service multiplied by C where that's CO2 per unit of energy. So Everything to do with people and living and breathing on the planet is to be put into an equation where the underlying yeah. inference of Bill Gates is there are too many people, uh, they're using too many resources and therefore creating too much, sorry, using, uh, consuming too many resources, using too much energy, creating too much CO2, and therefore those people have got to go. Mm. Yeah. I mean, uh, he's. He, I mean, it, he actually. I think he did that TED talk in 2014. That's quite a long time ago, 
And he's been banging on about this for such a long time. And his father was a eugenicist. He's a eugenicist. You know, we are, you know, we're nothing really. We have to be got rid of. <laughs> yeah. So the yeah. quote here from you that you pulled out from 2014 uh, was Bill Gates saying the world has 6.8 billion people and that's headed up to about 9 billion. Now, if we do a really great job on new vaccines, healthcare, reproductive services, we could reduce that by perhaps 10 to 15 percent. I really like vaccines. This is incredible, isn't it? That he was yeah. talking about the amongst anything else, the power of vaccines back in mm. in 2014. Yeah. And if you think about it logically, if vaccines were a great therapeutic tool, they would be helping people to live longer. You weren't going to die of a disease, and therefore that would tend to indicate that the reproduction rate would go up as a result of vaccinations. Mm. But clearly the rest of his dialogue is that he wants to see less people. So mm. is it wrong to think, well, did Bill Gates really assume that vaccines weren't about making people well or healthy? They were about helping to reduce the population. Absolutely. I mean, he'd been trialling his depopulation agenda in India around that time. And he was thrown out of India by the, the Indian Health Board because he, create, he caused the deaths of many young girls with Gardasil. And, you know, he, he's, he was trialling all of this before. So yeah. we know what he's up to. Yes. And of course, he comes across as this um, rather... Um, rather weak, uh, an air of intelligence about him. He, he plays that role quite happily, but he also appears rather weak. But you, many people, I think, would look at Bill Gates and say, well, he's, he's, he's very wealthy, he's a bit of an idiot, and he's got these really strange ideas. Mm. But actually, his strange ideas are being put into power. Yes, I mean, you wonder, you know, he, he's a software guy, you know, he was, you know, what does he know about health and why is he involved in vaccines? You know, it must be this, I'm convinced it's this, you know, there's some sort of familial bloodline that he almost has to execute this mission. And he has the money to do it because he was, you know, he got so much money through Microsoft. And he was able to do to to actually progress this eugenics agenda through selling software. I mean, yeah. that's what he's a geeky bloke, and he's probably controlled in the same way that his whole family were probably controlled. Yes, who knows? Yes, who knows? Now you focused in on a on a site called Deagle, and I find this very interesting because. I'm going to say increasingly, UK Column has received emails from people asking us about the Deagle site. They've stumbled across it or other people have referred them to it. But what, what has caught their attention, and I have to say spooked a lot of people, is the fact that Deagle, amongst giving a lot of data on countries to do with everything from what their economic production is to how big their military is, um, also... Um, deals with the population of individual countries and has produced what's a seemingly bizarre forecasts for where the mm. national populations will go. 
what do I mean by bizarre? Well, we're talking about decreases, huge decreases predicted in populations of the West, the US and the UK in particular, but other Western countries to a large extent. Um, but these are decreases which couldn't possibly happen naturally. And yet this website, Deagle, is, is suggesting that the future for many countries is a grossly reduced population. What, what do you make of the Deagle site? Well, it, it's interesting. I was putting these into my talks in 2013, 2014. I think it was around that time that Deagle put these forecasts up. Um, now, what is Deagle? It's a, an intelligence organization for the United States government. And it, 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 it's, they, they've admitted they're run by the CIA. Uh, and between 2014 and 2018, their website predicted a massive 50 to 80% global depopulation by 2025. Um, the CIA and the World Bank contributed to these forecasts. These predictions have been taken down in the last two years with no explanation. Um, now, it says here, I, mean, I don't know whether you can get this up on the screen, but the UK forecast goes from literally 63 million in 2014 to uh, 14 million in 2025. And it's the same, pretty much the same for the United States and Canada. Now you can look at all of these, um, all of these for, or you can't. I, I've got them on the. I found them on the Wayback Machine because they'd been taken down, and I, I printed them out, and I'd, I'd actually got them on my powerpoints from 2014, so I'd still got them. But they, you can't access them now unless you you go into these sites that you can go backwards and find yeah. them, and uh, I managed to do that. But it's interesting that some countries the the population goes up or it stays the same, um, particularly in the Far East, Malaysia, places like Malaysia and parts of Africa. And what I couldn't work out is, is Tanzania, I think it's Tanzania, goes up 300%, over 300%. I, I don't know why, What what is going on there? Yeah, it's. I mean, there's a lot of gold in Tanzania. I've no idea what goes on there, but there's a lot, it, 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 it does seem odd all the countries that are, are, are have this huge decrease in depopulation are the ones that have got the vaccine rollout and it's been it's been really pushed yeah yeah well we can just pop up on the screen briefly these are a couple of your screenshots of the deagle site so people can see for themselves the uh, range of subjects covered so we've got currency population uh, surface area density gdp military budget, imports, exports, etc. I've uh, got a, another one here. This is for Canada. Uh, so sorry, one, one for the USA, one for Canada. Uh, people can just freeze that screen and have a little look at that. Um, what this is, well, I think we're going to say we don't know, we don't quite know how they're making these predictions or what they see as creating such a dramatic fall in population or an increase in population. So this comes back to who are these people and what is the agenda that they're driving? And for the audience, for our audience in this little interview, we can't, we can't give an answer. We can only point a finger at it and say, we don't know. But if we come back to more, uh, more tangible things, um, and early on you were talking about the fact that you can see land being grabbed 
we are not to be people on the land. We're not to be farmers. We're not to be producing our own food. Take us through this uh, detail here of, of how you see land being taken away. Well, um, a lot of the big supermarkets are buying up land. They want to control the land. I mean, Bill Gates is, owned, is, is owning a lot of the farmland in America. He's bought up huge swathes of farmland in America. And this, is, this has been an agenda. This is about keeping people off the land. This is what Agenda 21, 2030 was all about. It's people have to be urbanized. They're not allowed to have access to the land, as we as we mentioned in the Wildlands map last week. Um, and at the moment, there's a, a concerted effort um, by the government to um, stop farmers from farming. And we've got farmers being paid to rewild their land, to let it go over to natural uh, rewilding, and to retire early with handouts of up to £100,000 um, you know, as a retirement bonus. Um, we're not growing, certainly not enough to cover our losses of 40% global Ukrainian wheat and corn that, that we're not getting. So we, we're not growing enough. There's a lot of brownfield sites that are turning into development sites, green and brownfield sites. Um, land being turned into garden villages, land taken over by development, solar farms and set aside for housing. Um, yeah, in the 1980s, we produced 85% of our food in the UK. It's now 45 and declining. And that was from the uh, security report of uh, 2021, the food security report. So we're not really earn, you know, we're not creating enough food. We, we, we rely heavily on imports and yeah. have done for such a long time. So in a, in a crisis, we, how will we live? You know, how will we how will we eat? How will we sustain ourselves? Yeah. yeah. Um, I'll just add to that. It's very interesting that um, fairly close uh, to where I am now, actually, in Plymouth, uh, a few miles down the road, uh, there is a new town uh, being built called Sherford. And if you do a little bit of research, well, one, you can see the farmland being swallowed up as the as the earth movers go in and scrape away the topsoil. And you can see this expanding um, urban development coming, which is, of course is not in Plymouth. So Plymouth, the brownfield sites in Plymouth or, or sites that clearly need developing in Plymouth, they're not dealing with. They've taken a greenfield space and they're building a new, a new town on it. But if you go back in a historical sense, not only was that uh, good quality farmland, um, it also had specialist agricultural uses. So there used to be a lot of, a lot of very big uh, greenhouses there where amongst other things, they were producing a pretty substantial tomato crop. I only discovered this fairly recently, mm. um, but you, you can drive past on the A38 on the main road. And, and if, if you're heading west, look to your left, look to the south and you see this city growing. Um, but what it is actually doing is just destroying acres and acres of what would yeah. be productive food, food production and farmland. And this, of course, is happening all across the country, now reinforced by uh, Boris Johnson's Build Back Better plan, except I think we could question, we could question the better. So you, you'd highlighted here that you felt that something is not quite going right because you're talking about accelerating 
the 17 goals of the, the Agenda 2030 plan. What, what's caused this? What caught your mind to say that this thing is, is now being accelerated? Well, um, it's interesting because if, if you look at the whole, the, how the pandemic um, was planned, I mean, if, 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 you, if you don't believe that, then um, there's a few pointers to, to make you realise that actually it was a, a long-term plan and they just simply implemented it in 2020. Um, because at their whole... Up until when I was when I was going around the country, you know, speaking in village halls, trying to alert people to Agenda 21, I really thought they would just keep pushing this climate change agenda and that everybody would be guilt tripped into giving up all their rights and freedoms under climate change. And as we know, you know, we know about climate gate and we know about the, the lies that have been told to us about CO2 and everything. So I thought, well, that they'll that they can't win this because then the real truth is getting out. Um, but what happened in, in 2019 was quite interesting. I think it was in June 2019. The uh, Antonio Guterres and uh, Klaus Schwab, Antonio Guterres is the um, Secretary General of the United Nations. They got together in Geneva, he and Klaus Schwab, um, from the WEA, he's from the World Economic it's, Forum. Um, sorry to, and they decided... Sorry to interrupt yeah. there. Is this is this the picture of them doing the dirty? Yeah, deed? that's the picture of them. They yeah. they signed something called the the it was called the uh, strategic framework partnership document, um, and it was to accelerate the seventeen goals. Nobody ever saw what was well. I didn't. I've done loads of research. Can't find out what was in that document, but it was a document that they both agreed they and signed in Geneva in June twenty nineteen, and. Uh, it seems that it was it was a it was a definitely a document to accelerate the seventeen goals, and they they obviously made a plan as to how to do that. And there they are holding it up, saying we're going to accelerate the, the seventeen goals. And then, interestingly, in uh, obviously in a few months later, in November twenty nineteen, they the same people, um, Antonio Guterres, uh, Klaus Schwab got together at Johns Hopkins uh, facility in New York and rolled out event 201 with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. So this was their means. This was how they were going to do it. They were going to roll out a, a pandemic because what event 201 was, was a tabletop exercise in what would happen if, you know, it was a what if scenario. What if a, 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 a pandemic uh, suddenly emerged from a wet market, and they, in their in their scenario, it was Brazil. What would happen if a, if something nasty emerged from a wet market in Brazil? How would we deal with it? And then it, it it started to go all over the world. What would we do? What would we do? And there was Bill saying, "Yes, but I can get a vaccine sorted. It's fine. I can sort that out." And so that was what Event Two Hundred One was. And what did we get a couple of months later? In uh, you know in in February you know we had that very scenario of them obviously Wuhan everything else kicked off and suddenly we're in the real scenario of a pandemic that is just like the tabletop. What are the chances? Yeah, what what are the chances? <laughs> and of course, uh, you cannot calculate the chances because it's unbelievable that so many components of a plan should should happen. Um, this this has got to be a plan and not a coincidence. 
you know, the yeah. probability statistics just show that this cannot possibly be by accident. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, we, we're going. We're getting close to the end here of where these people are going, but it does seem that uh, the agenda, agenda 2030, as you've said, is all about control, total control. And to get total control, we need to be able to have this inventory of everything. And this really brings us back to uh, the Internet of Things, as I know it, or Internet of Bodies. Um, so take us into what you see happening here. What are, what are they doing in order to database everything? Well, in the, the Internet of Things is, is what really is the infrastructure of, of a smart city and everything speaking to everything else. So everything is, is interconnected. All the systems, it's about systems interconnecting, whether it's energy systems, transport systems, uh, political systems, whatever. Everything is interconnected by the Internet of Things and it all speaks to each other. But the Internet of Bodies is about really enmeshing the human with the machine this is transhumanism um so it's about really meshing the flesh of the human being with the ai um using they they, they talk about a number of ways of doing it you know uh, wearables ingestibles injectables whatever it might be uh how to enmesh the human being to become part cyborg uh, it sounds crazy but it's all on the world or it was all on the world economic economic forums website in in very sort of in, interesting interactive layers of of interactive um graphics so we had all of this presented to us this is the way forward uh we will if they have their way we will become part part of this awful transhumanist agenda and in my view it's it really is to get rid of the human being altogether it's it's almost an evolutionary step yeah in their yeah. eyes and it does seem i i have found myself for myself as i read this material we're reading these reports that have taken vast amounts of money time and effort to produce for the, for the world economic forum or who, whoever's pumping it out but as you read into it you you sense that the future is for the eradication of mankind yeah it is. As created by God, I'm going to add. And, yeah. and now we're going to have a new version of mankind, better, in inverted commas, created by these experts, which individuals like Klaus Schwab say we must trust because they're experts. And they are going to say, well, your old body, it's not strong enough. You can't run fast enough. You can't see with enough clarity. You can't hear um accurately enough we we can improve all of that and ultimately we can connect your brain directly with a computer if there's anybody listening to what i'm saying now and thinking this is madness it is madness but this is what these people such as klaus schwab are talking about and spending money on the on the work and this is where uh, this little picture which you had of metaverse augmented cognition and we've got a, a little boy looking into, um, uh, what do we call them, 3D goggles. This stuff is so dangerous because we, we've got neurosurgeons and neuro experts telling us that when you do this to your 
to your eyes, to your brain, you are actually, particularly for children, damaging developing uh, the developing brain. So the brain starts to develop new and different neural networks in order to cope with the input from a computer screen. So many people warning that this is very, very dangerous stuff, but it's being advertised as a, it's, it's a bit of fun and let's get these innocent little African children involved because we're going to literally draw them into our world. <laughs> I'm laughing. Yes. But I, I'm not, sorry, I'm not laughing in I a mean, fun way. I'm laughing because it's, no, it's so horrific. It's so absurd. And, and the thing is that it's, life is becoming more and more absurd, as you probably you must be aware of. And the more absurd it gets, the better it is for us who are fighting it. Because I believe that there will be, at the moment, there's a silent revolution going on where people are actually questioning everything. Because the thing is that the metaverse is not something of the future. It's now. It's actually being created now. It's it's actually gone quite far into the creation. Um, I'm told, you know, I listen, I watched the, oh, no, what was it? No, I I found an article in, in the Times uh, last week in the Financial Times, I think I flagged it up last week, and the the metaverse has, has already had um, 160 billion infrastructure put into it, um, and you've got people like you know or corporations like um, Mastercard and Visa um, setting up payment system with payment systems with non fungible tokens, you know, so that people can actually do business on the internet and that the business that's generated by by the sorry the metaverse the business that will be generated by the metaverse by 2030 will be worth 4.2 billion dollars and so this is big business and they they think that we are going to live our lives because we will be so sanctioned uh, in our own reality that we will prefer to live in the metaverse and that's where all our tokens will be used up yeah and and that the 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 billionaires will be owning the whole of the real world here with what are called um, i think they're called natural asset classes they will own all the forests and own everything and we will actually have to pay for the air we breathe and whatever we do so this is their idea of how life will be for us it's not our idea. And the more people, the more we flag this up, the more people that watch this and think it's all actually crazy stuff that we're talking about, it's not. This is really happening. You know, right, let, it's, let's, it's Sandy, let's happening. reinforce that because you've got Elon Musk here. And uh, uh, I've, I've been reporting on him over the last couple of days because his Starlink satellite system, which has been providing... Uh, all kinds of battlefield uh, intelligence, the Ukrainians failed a little while ago, probably due to Russian interference. But but the point is that we've now got a man so powerful and wealthy uh, that he, he can use his satellites in order to help control a battlefield where tens of thousands of people are dying. Um, but sorry, I'll just come on to the quote that we had on screen there. Um, here, You've got a quote where he's talking about Neuralink's goal. Uh, can we? There we are. Neuralink's goal is to build something called a brain-computer interface that allows people to transmit and receive information between their brain and a computer wirelessly. 
according to Neuralink's mm -hmm. website. So these are not yeah. people just talking about some vague concept that they expect to come in in the future. Um, they are actually doing this. And of course, there's plenty of really horrific experiments that you can see in little video clips where they're trialing this stuff on animals. I'm not even going to describe some of the ones I've seen because it's too distressing. But they, mm -hmm. are, they are actually heading towards the fact that we will be linked in our brains will be linked into computers full time. Yes, um, th this is the world that, that, that they see. This is the world that they see for us. Um, and unfortunately, we've been lured into this world with the technology. You know, since the 1990s, we've had the Internet and everybody thought and we all thought and actually the Internet has been a double edged sword. It's been the truth. You've been able to access the truth. Um, and but it's been also able to bring in this this dark uh, stuff that that we and and has lured us into using smartphones. That really all those apps are data harvesting every single fact about your life, and all of that is going essentially onto a blockchain. And when they bring when they when they do finally crash this economy and and lure everybody into the CBDCs, which is what they're trying to do, the central banking digital system, what we really have to do is 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 just say no. There's a sacred word, no, and it is our protection. It is our protection and our sovereignty, that word no. And we almost need to ditch the devices. How we do it, don't ask me. I use it all the time to, for, for what we're doing, you know, to bring, bring the truth out. But how, how we ditch our devices and how do you get young people to actually not engage with this? Because it's all part, it's been very cleverly done because it's all part of gaming. You know, as, as, as Elon Musk says, to make an embarrassing admission, I like video games. That's what got me into software engineering when I was a kid. I wanted to make the money so I could buy better computer and better video games. Nothing like saving the world. Well, he's not saving the world. He's trying to own it. Yeah. But the, 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 the whole gaming industry is, is what the metaverse is based on. It's a bit like Minecraft and all that sort of thing. And it's luring a lot of young people into it. They're thinking, oh, this is really cool. We have to we have to educate them and realize actually it's going to turn them into living in a digital prison. Yeah, that's all. Sandy, thank you for that. Well, I'm just I'm going to end with two slides here. This one uh, about Bill Gates was only sent to me yesterday. So it's from LifeSite and the headline is Gates Foundation gives $200 million to help establish a global digital ID system of surveillance. One commentator mm. explained that of all the other means of identifying tracking subjects, digital identity poses perhaps the gravest technological threat to individual liberty yet conceived. So Bill Gates hasn't yet dealt with the hundreds, thousands, millions of people damaged by his vaccines. He's moving on to the fact he's going to lock us into surveillance. This man yeah. needs needs to be dealt with. Perhaps we could perhaps we could tie him into a computer and let him go off and play in a dark room with all his uh, little games. Um, but where, <laughs> where do we need to end? Well, I think it's got to be with your plea that we should ditch the devices. This is the key thing, isn't it? Because if, mm, we, if yeah. we start to move away from the devices, 
we deny them all of the data that they need in order to build this new metaverse yeah. and achieve their mm -hmm. reset. So it's, it's down to us, isn't it? It is, it is. And this whole uh, digital panopticon that they've, they've literally designed, and it is, it's almost like they've gone to a drawing board and they've designed this whole system uh, and, and they've run, rolled it out over the last 30 years. And it's, it's a perfect plan for global control. And the thing is that it made me realise that that all-seeing eye, you know the all-seeing eye, the symbol that, that's been going for hundreds of years, the global panopticon is actually the all-seeing eye. It's where you're surveilled in every area of your life. And that is done through the apps on your phone and everything on your devices is, is looking straight into you, right into your private life, what you eat, what you like doing, what you, you know, how much money you've got, your social standing, everything is on your device. And they have the ability to monetize all of that and 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 you will be restricted by tokens and you will have to uh, comply if they bring in this digital banking system and we do download the app for god's sake don't download it because then you're trapped you know you basically yeah. are trapped i think all these again with the nhs app you're, you're trapped we've got to move away from this and create a different paradigm how we do it please i don't know but we this is this is what i'm feeling this is what i'm seeing is that that, that all of this is a trap it's a trap to actually uh, control every area of our lives and and the way they're doing it is by compliance and the thing is that once you're in it if you then decide not to comply they will sanction you you won't have access your facial recognition simply won't open the doors in tesco's so you can access your food or they won't allow you to heat your house or whatever it might be uh, or they won't allow you to they'll deny access to your banking to your money so this is why we have to really get rid of these blooming devices and live a different way a very different way yeah well sandy we, we've come to the end i'm going to say utterly brilliant thank you very much for taking the time in three segments to go through this subject we could talk a lot more as there so, is so much coming up um, but yeah it's it's a it is a horrific future we do need to stop it but stopping it is twofold I, I think yes ditch the devices but the other thing is we've got to gently warn people as as to what they're doing and show other people mm. what's coming because many people despite most of this stuff being hidden in plain sight people simply do not see it for what it is and if we can no. gently help explain it to them to tell them where to look to encourage them to research we are we're actually starting to win and the other thing yeah. I, i'm going to say about the likes of klaus schwabs and billy gates and the rest of them is they're so unbelievably <laughs> arrogant this is one of yeah. their greatest weaknesses that they think that we are all so unbelievably stupid and probably their biggest mistake has been to underestimate mums in their kitchens so uh, when you come down to it you're laughing sandy but you know uh, uk columns started with the assistance of uh, of um, three mature ladies two of them grandmums one not but we would have never have got off the ground if it wasn't for for those uh, ladies that saw what was happening and decided to come and 
help what we were trying to do. You've been there researching at home and you're making a big impact from your kitchen. And really, this is a great model for other people who may listen to this talk and then think to themselves, what can I do? Well, you can do exactly as, yeah. as Sandy Adams has done and research and speak out. So I'm going to say utterly brilliant. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you. Thanks for giving me the opportunity for speaking with you. It's been great. Thank you. Okay. And we'll do some more in the future. Thanks, Sandy. Lovely. Okay. Thank you, Brian. Thank you.